Thou shalt not fret it. So let's try it together. Thou shalt not fret it. Turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit. Tell him that. Now, I got to tell you, my Bible in Psalms 37 is so marked up. Talking about fretting. Fretting is uh, really dealt with in Psalms 37. As a matter of fact, Psalms 37 gives us the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not fret it. Thou shalt not fret it. So let's try it together. Thou shalt not fret it. Turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit. Tell them that. Now, I got to tell you, my Bible in Psalms 37 is so marked up, you can hardly read the text. I've marked it and dated it so many times, memorized it. it it'll really deliver your mind from fretting, from anxiety, from worry. I want you to know God doesn't want you to worry as a believer. He doesn't want you uptight all the time. He doesn't want you on the edge of anger with a short fuse. He wants you at peace. God wants you to have peace. By the way, didn't the choir sound great? I appreciate the choir today. So let's look at what uh, Psalms 37 has to say in only one verse. And I want you to read it with me. Verse 5. Are you ready? Let's read it. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your remedy for a fretting mind and a troubled heart. We thank you, Lord, for watching over us and guiding us and guarding us from worry and fear. And we pray in Jesus' name that you will deliver every fretting mind here today and help us to walk in the peace of God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let me just talk to you about this today. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And He will bring it to pass. Now, we began last week talking about this psalm. We're going to be one more week on it because it's divided into three parts. There's a kind of a three-part remedy for fretting. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like fretting. I don't like worrying. I don't like being angry. Uh, I like peace. Anybody here like peace? I enjoy peace. The older I get, the more I like it. I like peace. Now, I used to think when I read this psalm that fretting was talking about worrying, that worry not, fret not thyself. Don't be worried all the time. But it's really not about worry at all. Fretting is not from the Hebrew word worry, but it's anger. It means to be angry, to walk around simmering all the time. It actually means to glow, to blaze up, to be incensed or angered as a, as a person becomes hot with anger, gets really angry. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we're living in an increasingly angry culture. Everybody's angry. I mean, they're angry on the highway. They're angry in the workplace. It seems like it doesn't take much at all to set somebody off and just get them to blow their stack and release this pent-up rage and anger. There's just this simmering anger underneath. And I really have to believe that's partly due to the fact that our culture has departed from God. And when you depart from God, you depart from peace. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound, peaceful mind. Not an angry mind, but Psalms 37 is all about telling believers 
not to be angry, not to fret all the time. Now, the context is that you've got righteous people watching the wicked prosper. They're noticing that it looks to the, it looks to the righteous person in Psalm 37 like the wicked are getting away with things, like they're having all the fun and, and we're not. And, and there is this anger that begins to come when we wonder why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. That's the age-old question. It has bothered the righteous for time immemorial. Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked seem to get away with everything? We wonder why God doesn't judge them for their sin. We want to say with David, how long, O Lord, before you move? How long are you going to let them get away with this? Why don't you do something? Do you see what I'm seeing, Lord? They're, getting, they're doing this and doing that, blaspheming your name and, and hurting your cause and suppressing your truth. And where are you, Lord? Why aren't you dealing with it? We experienced some of the thoughts that David did when he wrote in Psalm 73, and it's easy to remember these two Psalms. Psalms 37, he's an older man. Psalm 73, he's younger. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's the way it is. So you can remember them just inverted, 37, 73. In Psalm 73, he said, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Seems to me, Lord, David is saying that the wicked are getting away with all of their crimes and I can't move to the right or the left, but you chasing me, you discipline me, you don't let me get away with a thing. And it's bugging me, God. Why aren't you rebuking them like you rebuke me? I can answer that. It says that God chastens every son who he receives. And so if you're under the chastening of God, it's because God loves you. He chastens every son whom he receives. He scourges every one of us, takes every one of his children to the woodshed from time to time, and he disciplines us because he loves us that it might yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We cannot really grow without the chastening and the discipline of God. But nevertheless... Don't you wonder sometimes why God allows some of the things that goes on in his world? Don't you wonder where he is? And David is fretting here. He's fretting in Psalm 73, and he's fretting in Psalms 37. At the beginning, he's counseling people who are having this fretting problem. He's experiencing anger and envy over the wicked and their seeming carefree existence. But now in his old age, Psalms 37... He's counseling us, and he's saying, here's how you get rid of a fretting mind. Here's how you get delivered from being angry all the time. You men, some of you men are angry. Some of you women are angry all the time. God wants you to be delivered of that. And that comes from yielding everything to the Lord. Now, the first part we explored last time in Psalms 37, he showed us how to be free of fretting, and he said, here's what you do. Here's the first part of the remedy. Trust in the Lord. There can be no freedom from fretting unless we're trusting in the Lord with all our heart. We've got to trust Him with everything. Trust in the Lord. And then do good. Get busy about doing good works. I love doing the good works of God. He said, do good. And then he said, dwell on the land. What is the land for us? The land is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the land. We have not been called to the land of worry, fear, and trouble. We have been called to the land of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
That's the inheritance of every believer. Now the second part we're going to look at today. He says, commit. Can we say this together? Commit your way to the Lord. Well, about two of you follow me there. Let's try it again. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. Now let's deal with the first word. He said it all begins with committing. Have you noticed we don't live in a committed world much anymore? Used to be you could shake somebody's hand and make a deal and you could trust their word, but no more. You need a, you need a lawyer there, you need a contract and 20 signatures to be sure that you're going to get what was promised because people are not loyal or not committed anymore. We take commitment very lightly. If we don't like something, we just move on. If it's not scratching our itch, we just call it a day. And we're not committed like we used to be. But David said, if you're going to be a successful believer, you're going to have to commit your way to the Lord. How many of you want to be successful in your walk with God? Successful in growing in Him. We're going to have to learn to commit our way to the Lord. The Christian life requires total and complete commitment, even to the place of dying to ourself. We've got to be willing to lay down our own lives and give our whole life to the sacrifice of Christ. Total commitment, or I'll guarantee you the devil's going to find a weakness and shoot you out of the saddle. It requires 100% commitment. A chicken and a pig were walking past the church building one day when they noticed the Sunday morning sermon posted on the outside bulletin board. And it said, helping the poor. Well, they walked away when the chicken suddenly came across with a suggestion. Hey, brother pig, why don't we give all the poor people a nice breakfast of ham and eggs? The pig thought a moment and replied, that's all right for you to say. For you, it's only a contribution. For me, it's total commitment. And let me tell you something, folks. Guess what? We're not the chicken. We're the pig. That is, we've got to give everything to the Lord if we're going to make it in this life. There's only one reason that Paul reached the end and said, I finished my course. I'm a finisher. You know why? He was committed. He was 110% committed to his walk with Jesus. Commitment means different things to different people. To the boxer, it's getting off the mat one more time than you've been knocked down. I'm committed. I'm going to win. To the marathoner, it's running another 10 miles when you're totally out of breath. Why? I am committed to the soldiers going over the hill, not knowing what's waiting on the other side, with reckless abandon, not caring for his own life because he's committed to the cause of freedom. To the missionary... And I've seen it many times. It's saying goodbye over and over again to your own comfort zone so you can minister to other people. And there is not a missionary in the world that's, that's going to make it unless they are totally, completely committed. And to the Christian, I guarantee you, it's all this and more because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And guess what? There would have been no Savior on any cross if he had not been totally committed to redeeming you and I by his precious blood. He was committed. There would be no Olympics without committed athletes who gave it all to reach a goal. We would not live in a world with any excelling, with any excellence at all, if people were not committed to reaching a goal, reaching that tape at the end of the finish line, and finishing what they began because, listen, commitment is not an emotion, it's a decision. You choose to reach a place, 
to do a thing, to accomplish something. And when you commit, it doesn't matter how you feel, you're going anyway. It doesn't matter how things look, you're going to get up and go anyway. You've got to be committed. And God says, I want you to commit completely and totally to me. In the things that matter most, partial commitment won't do it. We've got to be totally committed, not partially. Think about it. When the pilot of a giant airliner is speeding down the runway, there's a certain point where he cannot decide to remain on the ground. When he crosses that line, he's committed to the air or the plane crashes disastrously. I'm going to tell you, church, you don't want to be in a jet with a pilot who's not committed when you are going down that runway, who's not committed to the sky. Because when he uh, passes that point, he's got to pull up and go up. Otherwise, it's going to be a crash. Can I tell you that the church is two-thirds down the runway, and it's time for us to commit to Jesus Christ who committed to us. Amen? Because we're there. And I really do believe that soon and very soon we're going to see the king where that trumpet is going to blow and Jesus is going to come back. And you know who he's coming back for? A bride that was waiting for him, sanctified, set apart, living for him, committed to serving him. Jesus said nobody puts his hand to the plow and looks back. If you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the service in the kingdom of God. You know, I've been walking with God for a long time. Since I was 18 years old, I really sold out to him. And I've seen a lot of people start strong and end weak. I've seen a lot of people committed at the beginning and fainting in the end. I've seen people that started out very promisingly, but they dropped out when the going got tough. And you know what, church? It's going to get a lot tougher in this country. And I want to just give you a word of encouragement. Make up your mind right now that come hell or high water, no matter what Satan sends against the church, he's going to find committed, blood-bought, spirit-filled, sold-out Christians who are not going to bow, break, or back down. Committed. Committed. Commitment is the only thing that's going to enable you to break the finish tape at the end. God wants us to be committed committed to him. You know, I read a story of commitment that really spoke to me and blessed me. Most of us who are married made this statement when we got married. To have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. You don't get any more committed than that. But Robert McQuilkin experienced a challenge to his commitment in his marriage when severely challenged with his wife who contracted Alzheimer's disease. Mr. McQuilkin was president of a Bible college and seminary when he was faced with a mountainous decision. Huge. Because he could not continue as president and take appropriate care of his wife, who at this point could only speak in broken phrases and words and was prone to irrational behavior and had panic attacks when he walked out the door. Even his most trusted and godly friends advised him to put his wife into an institution, saying to him, you cannot give up such a promising, bright career. You can't let it go, Robertson. You can't let it go. After all, how can you retire when so much promise is still in front of you and you're only 57 years old, faced with commitment, faced with what he was going to do? And when the time came, McQuilkin's decision was firm. It didn't take any great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. He said this to his friends, quote, had I not promised 
Did I not promise 32 years before in sickness and in health till death do us part? I can't leave her this way. Later, he would go on to write of the joys and the blessings he had received as a result of the special time he spent with Muriel before she died. Commitment. Commitment. Commitment trumps emotion. Commitment trumps circumstances. Commitment trumps it all. God gave us a will. He gave us the ability to choose. And we must be strong in commitment. And then I read another story on the flip side that really got me. I read of a photographer who told of a young man who wanted duplicate copies of his girlfriend's picture. And the photographer had noticed the following inscription on the back of the portrait that the young man wanted duplicated. It said, quote, my dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. Signed, Diane. P.S. If we ever break up, I want this picture back. True story. Two examples of commitment. Both declaring terms of endearment forever, but one of them followed through and the other one left an exit door in the background. And I'm going to tell you, church, if you leave an exit door there, the devil will see to it that you find a reason to take it. There is no exit door. There is no exit door in this thing called Christianity and this walk with God that we've begun. Listen, did you know that the Red Sea has closed behind us? And that Pharaoh's army that we used to serve is back there on the other side of the sea. And all that is in front of us is now to put our hands to the plow and go forward, move onward, upward, and accomplish the will of God that we cannot go back. There's no going back. And there's nothing back there to go back to. God has called us to seek him and go forward until the day we see his face in glory. Committed. We are committed. There is no back door. When it comes to commitment, there's really four kinds of people. There's cop-outs, people who have no goals and don't commit at all, and I know a few of those. There's holdouts, people who don't know if they can reach their goals, so they're afraid to commit. There's dropouts, people who start towards a goal but quit when the going gets tough, and there's all-outs. And all-outs are people who set goals, commit to them, and pay the price to reach them no matter what. Let me tell you what God's looking for. He's not looking for the cop-outs or the holdouts or the dropouts. He's looking for the all-outs. He wants churches who are all out for Him, His truth, His name, His goodness, and are not ashamed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. My mind is made up. This is going to be an all-out church in these last days. All-out. In Jesus' name. How many of you want to be an all-out person serving an all-out God who gave all for you and for me? Amen. Give him a hand of praise today. He's good. Now, the Hebrew word for commit that is in Psalms 37, the word that we translated, the Hebrew word we translated into commit, actually means this. It means roll your way onto the Lord. We hear the word commit and we think of a certain thing, but in the Hebrew, there is a picture given. Roll your way onto the Lord. It's probably a metaphor taken from the camel that lies down while a load is rolled upon him by his master. So if if you're back there in the first century or you're in another part of the world and you take camels that carry your load, those camels will lay down 
and you will roll a load onto his back, tie it down, and then that camel will stand up and begin to walk with the load. He says, I want you to roll your way onto the Lord. Roll your heavy burden onto the Lord. Don't carry it yourself. God never intended for us to carry the burdens of life, folks. That's why walking with God is good for you. If you really walk with God, the way of the sinner is hard. But Jesus said, my burden is light. Why? Because we are to roll our cares, our fretting, our fears, our worries, our concerns. We're to roll them on to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares, not some, not a few, all your cares upon the Lord. Do you know what all means in the Greek? All. That means you don't keep certain things. Here's the way some people cast onto the Lord. They cast a burden onto the Lord, but it's like it's got a fishing line to it. As soon as it gets to him, you reel it back. You say, I believe I'll keep that. And you walk around fearing, worrying, wondering, afraid about your money, concerned about your family, carrying those marriage uh, burdens. God says, I want you to roll your cares and your burdens onto me. Psalms 55, 22 says, roll your burden onto the Lord, releasing the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be moved, made to slip, fall, or fail. Who is it that doesn't slip, fall, or fail? Those that are rolling their burdens onto the Lord. Spurgeon writes, cast away anxiety, resign thy will, submit thy judgment, and leave all with the God of all. Is your burden onto the Lord today, or are you carrying it? If you carry it too long, it'll depress you. It'll take your joy. It'll rob you of your peace. I'm so glad that God makes divine exchanges with you and me. It begins with, you give me your sin, and I'll give you my righteousness. Amen. It gives, give me your death, and I'm going to give you my life. Give me your burdens, and I'm going to give you my peace. Give me your weakness, and I'm going to give you my strength. You know, it seems like we get the better end of the deal, doesn't it? We give him all of the negatives, and he gives us all of the positives. He wants you and I to walk in peace and enjoy the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's our land. So you ought to walk around with a smile on your face. I'm not telling you to be fake. I'm saying when God's got all your burdens, his burden is light. Walking with him is light. It puts wings under your feet. God blesses you when you're walking in his peace. You can carry it if you want to but you don't have to. Now, he says, there's more in my mind than you just giving me your burdens. What I want you to give me is your way. Commit, roll your way unto the Lord. What does that mean? The term way means a path, a course of life. Jesus talked about the wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to life. There's only two directions you can go in life. You can go the wide road and many there be that go in thereat. Or you can go the narrow road that leads to life and few there be that find it. Now he says, I want you to roll your way, the path of your life, onto the Lord. That is, I want you to give him everything. The way that we're to commit to God includes our lifestyle, how we live, 
which direction we choose to go in in life, morally and spiritually. Who we're going to serve. Who are we going to walk with? Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, he had chosen his way. He had rolled his way onto the Lord. When you roll your way onto the Lord, it includes future decisions. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, in all of your ways, there's that word again, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path at every decision point. Acknowledge the Lord. With every decision, major and minor, acknowledge the Lord and roll your way onto him. Say, Lord, which way should I go? I'm rolling it onto you. Now, I really do believe that sometimes we don't do this because we're not aware that he's standing there waiting for us to roll our way onto him, waiting for us to acknowledge him and say, which way do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me running with as friends? Who do you want me with romantically? Who will I really consider for a spouse? What am I to do with this business decision? We're not aware that God is standing right there. He says, if you will acknowledge me, I will direct your path. I'll speak to you. I'll guide you. The way that we're to commit to God includes the whole course or wheel of life. All that can affect life. All our plans or conduct. All the issues or results of those plans we are to commit into the hands of God. Listen, child of God, God didn't save you to step out of the picture of your life and just say, good luck, hope you make it, see you in heaven, and then he steps aside. No, no, no. When God saved you, he became the father of your life, the Lord and the guide of your life. And he wants to be involved in decisions, small and great. He wants you to acknowledge him in all of your ways, in all of your ways. Roll your way onto the Lord earnestly pray for his direction at the beginning of a thing. When you start something, say, Lord, help me. Look for his continual support in the progress of the thing. And then continue likewise all the way to the end so that God can receive the glory for everything you and I do. Because we have been anointed and appointed to bring glory to God. This means before I go a certain direction in life, before I make future plans, I bow and I acknowledge Jesus' lordship, asking for his guidance. It means that I become a seeker of him and I ask him for his wisdom before I involve myself in a relationship. Instead of taking the picture of that person to your friends and saying, what do you think of them? Take the picture to God and say, what do you think of them? What do you think about this person I'm getting involved with? What do you think about these friends I'm choosing, Lord? Because in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you. See, we don't realize, folks, that who we run with can make or break us. Who we hook up with can make or break us. You can choose friends that will drag you down in the gutter, or you can choose friends that will pull you up and help you to walk with God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Before you're going to marry somebody for life, you better go to the one you're already married to, the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, what do you think about this person? If he says, I don't like them, you may not like that. And if he says they're not for you, that may not bless you. But God sees the end from the beginning. And believe me, it's better to have a goodbye now than a lifetime of regrets later. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I'm amazed as a pastor how many times I see Christians making decisions where they haven't sought God at all. They marry without placing the, the decision in the hands of God. 
They go into major debt without saying, Lord, what do you think about this decision? They go walking through the mall and see something and feel led to buy it, whip out the plastic, and then get home and say, God, please deliver me of debt. How about asking for his guidance before you buy it? Ask his guidance before you make that friend, before you begin to date that person. Here's the incredible promise. If we acknowledge him in all our ways, he promises, I will direct your paths. I will guide you in your decision. He's standing right there. Does any man lack wisdom? Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Only let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the winds. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The promise is, if you ask God for wisdom, he's standing there. If you acknowledge him, he wants to speak. He wants to be the guide and counselor of your life. Thou shalt call his name Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He wants to guide you. Now here's what he says. Commit your way unto the Lord, and he will bring it to pass. He shall do it. Now, if you're like me, I go, well, what is it? What do you mean he will bring it to pass, because that's kind of open-ended. He'll bring it to pass. Here's what it means, Philippians 1.6. I am convinced, says Paul, and I am sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. What is the it he will bring to pass? It is God's purpose and plan and destiny for you. See, when you got saved, he didn't just save you for heaven, but he saved you with an it in mind. There's an it. Paul called it a that. Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't obtained yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and reaching forward to what is ahead, I am pressing in that I may apprehend that for which Jesus apprehended me. Do you hear that? In the psalm, it's an it. And with Paul, it was a that. But it means what God had in mind when he apprehended you, what he had in his mind that first time you got convicted by the Holy Ghost. And God said, you need my son. And you said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. God saved you, but when he saved you, it wasn't just to get you to heaven. He had an it he wants to bring to pass, a that for which he apprehended you. This is good stuff. I want you to catch this now. A few Christmases ago, I decided I was going to go rescue a dog. I love dogs. You have to know that I'm a dog lover. To me, if dogs aren't in heaven, I'm disappointed. If God really wants to make heaven heaven for me, I need a dog there. I want my dogs there. I can't imagine dogs not going to heaven. You say, well, Pastor, do you have a verse for that? No, but I could make one up. <laughs> because dogs are what we're supposed to be as Christians. They do good to those that hate them. They lick those who abuse them. They bless those that curse them. 
If you wrong them, they come back and forgive you and wag their tail and they're your friend all over again. They are what we're supposed, they're humble. They, you know, they walk low. They come at you in a humble way. They don't want, they're, they're what we're supposed to be. So if you want to know what a Christian is, look at a dog. But I decided I was going to go rescue a dog at Christmas time. So I went to the pound where if they're not rescued, they're going to be put down. So I went into this pound. Now, I couldn't do it now. I'm telling you, I could not go into one of these pounds now because I would want to leave with every dog in there. As a matter of fact, if I had $100 million, I would buy hundreds of acres. I would fence it in. I would go to the Fort Worth pound and say, today you're going to be shut down. I'm buying you out. Give me every dog in here and every dog that comes through here, give it to me. And I'm going to let them go run free as dogs were meant to be. And I'm not going to let another one go down. That would be me. Do I have any dog lovers in here? Who else acts like Jesus walked in the door than your dog? Every single time you go home, they wag their tail and and sing the hallelujah chorus in dog language. They love you. But now watch this. I went in there and and I said, I'm going to rescue a dog at Christmas. I just felt like rescuing. So I'm going to go get a dog because if I don't rescue the dog, whatever dog I get, he's going to be put down. He is doomed. He is only facing the veterinarian's shot and down he will go. He will not be able to live the life that he was born to live. So I'm going to find a dog. I went up and down the cages and I said to myself, I'll know him when I see him. So up and down, I saw all these dogs wagging their tail, looking at me. And it was just heartbreaking. But I said, I'm going to know the one when I see him. And when I saw one in a cage, And he looked at me, he was huddled in the corner, all curled up, and he looked up at me, and I said to the girl with me, I said, that one, open the the cage, bring him to me. And she went and got this little puppy out of there, and I grabbed this little puppy, and this little puppy nuzzled up to my neck, and I was a goner. I was a goner right there. And so here's what I had to do. I, I said, okay, all right. She said, I said, where do I pay? She said, you go right down there and you pay to get him out. So I went down and I slapped money down to get this dog out of the cage. Now, what the dog did not know is that I was not just there to get him out of the cage, but I had a dream for him. I had a will for him. I had a plan for him. I had a purpose for him. He was utterly unaware of what I, a higher being, was thinking when I took him out. All he knew was, once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was bound, now I'm free. That's all he knew. But I said to myself, I've got a plan. And here's what I saw. I saw this dog uh, fetching as I threw a stick. I saw this dog running around free in my backyard. I saw this dog greeting me at the door, wagging his tail, making it nice for me to come home, a little bit nicer for me to come home. I saw this dog making my children happier. I saw this dog enjoying life. I knew that I would be this dog's provider and he would never have to worry about another thing. In my mind, this dog was chosen. I chose him I put down the currency to get him out. Do you know that's what Jesus did with you and me? 
He put down the currency that is above all currency, greater than the yen, greater than the dollar, greater than the peso. He put down the currency of his own blood. He paid his blood and he came up to the cage that we were in. We were all in the cage of sin and we were doomed for a devil's hell if he had not purchased us out. And he slapped down that currency at the bar of God and he said, let them go. And he said, open the cage. And Satan had to open the cage. He reached in. He pulled us out of many waters. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock and he has established my goings. And listen, here's my point that when he saved you, he had something in his mind. And it's the it. Roll your way upon the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. I press on to do this one thing that I may apprehend that for which also Jesus apprehended me. So, when he saved you, it wasn't just for heaven, but he saw you ministering in good works. He saw you blessing others. He saw you glorifying God. He saw you doing all of these things. And he had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a destiny. And our calling is not just for heaven, but to find what it is and do it. And I'm so glad now... You say, well, how's your dog now? He's enjoying the wonderful plan I had for his life. I fed him this morning, and you know what? When his bowl gets empty, he doesn't walk around worrying, is he going to be able to fill that bowl again? He doesn't go out in the garage and look at the sack of dog food and say, well, that's getting mighty low. He knows that I'm going to be there. As a matter of fact, at the same time every day, he's looking at me like, it's time. It's time. Oh, provider, J Jeff Jira. <laughs> and he knows I'm there. See, roll your direction onto the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will bring it to pass. Can we stand together today? And you know, I'm so thankful for all of you, and I know when I look out at you, I see primarily, overwhelmingly, people that used to be in that cage of sin. But now you've been liberated. My calling is to help you find it. That for which he apprehended you. That you would fulfill his purpose. Can we pray together? Father, as our heads are bowed, I pray for every person in this place. I pray that, Lord, you will deliver them from anything that would keep them from apprehending that for which you apprehended them. Any person, place, or thing standing in the way, I pray, graciously remove it, deal with it. For life, Lord, we know is doing that for which you apprehended us.
with your heads bowed. I have prayed this week and I've prayed that God would draw people close to him. And I, do, I really do believe that God's dealing with people's hearts. We live in perilous times. If there was ever a time to get right with God, it's today. Some of you used to walk with the Lord, but you, you've drifted. Can I tell you in love today, I understand, and I'm not judging you, but I want to encourage you. Come back to Him and make a total commitment. Commit your way again to the Lord so that He can bring it to pass in your life. And maybe you've never had the miracle of being born again. Christ has never come into your heart. You've got a question mark when no one's around and your head hits the pillow at night. Sometimes you wonder, have I really been saved? Do you know you can settle that today? With our heads bowed right now, you can say, Pastor, I used to walk with the Lord, but I have drifted. And I want to totally commit to Him so that I can do His will. Can I see your hands today? Put them up real good and high. I see you. God bless you, many of you. It's so important, so crucial. And if you've never given your heart to the Lord but want to be sure that you're saved today, can I pray with you? Would you just lift your hand up and let me see you? Yes, God bless you and you. God bless you. What a great Thanksgiving time it would be here in these holidays. To be able to look back and say, that Thanksgiving season, I gave my heart fully to the Lord. So I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, would you do something? Forget about everybody in here. Don't worry about them. I want you to slip out from where you are and come and stand in front of me and let me meet you. And I want to take your hand. I want to pray with you. Do it right now. If you stand there and go, well, should I or shouldn't I? No, no, no. Do it right now. Slip out and come. And don't hesitate. If you hesitate, you will probably never do it. Do it right now. The minute you take one step, that's the step of faith. And God's going to undertake in your life. And God's going to bless you. We're going to sing for just a moment. God's dealing with people. And I want you to come right now.